Welcome to the RSP Cast 2020 Projection Series. We're going to cover the 49ers today. He's Wayne McFarlane. I'm not, but we're going to have a good time doing this, even if I'm pretending to be Dwayne McFarlane with my projections here. Um, but yeah, you can find Dwayne at, <laughs> at the Fantasy Football Hustle Podcast. You can find him at Pro Football Focus. You can also find him at Established Run. You can find me at Football Guys. And you, of course, you can find me at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Um, 49ers. Nailed it. What? Nailed it? I said nailed it. Yeah, better than last time. That's for sure. <laughs> I guess I needed a warm-up, man. But, um, <laughs> you know, the 49ers, you know, they seem to be hot. You know, at least um, they were heading into the Super Bowl and all the way up until the end of the fourth quarter of that game. Um, they, you know, they've Kyle Shanahan's put together a really nice offensive line. They have a killer defense. You know, he has the young quarterback that he wanted who's, you know, probably the poster child for technical proficiency. Um, You have a ground game that, you know, that any old school NFL fan would absolutely love and adore. Um, And then you have a receiving core filled with a lot of young athletes that they're fighting to try and stay healthy. That's a soap opera in itself that we're going to cover today. And of course, they have one of the two to three best tight ends in the game. And I think I just insulted him by even adding the word three to, to that mix. <laughs> you did. Because <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not a big Zach Ertz fan. And as much as I like Darren Waller, we're talking about reality, not fantasy when we're talking about tight ends. So really, he might be the best tight end in the game. Um, though O.J. Howard might have an argument maybe later on down the line as a, as a guy coming up from, from the depths. Um, and I say that as a, as a total George Kittle fan. Um, so Dwayne, you know, from, from the looks of this team, you know, what do you see from the data? What do you see from your own eye, from the film? You know, what's going on for this team that we want to set up so that we cover them from the, from a projections point of view? Yeah, I, I think you already did a really nice setup. I mean, it's Kyle Shanahan, man. I mean, the guy just, whatever he touched, it's like the Midas touch, you know, it's all gold. Now, don't be wrong. He had, he had some rough seasons, but he endured major injury issues, right? In his first couple of years with the 49ers, you know, one of them was with losing Jimmy G, um, you know, Marquise Goodwin, you know, they, they'd finally get him going and he would get hurt. I mean, finally the injury bug didn't kill him, you know, last season. Now he's battling it already this season with Debo Samuel, um, with a Jones fracture, um, Brandon Ayuk's missing valuable practice time right now with a hamstring injury. You know that they've brought in, I think, every wide receiver that was ever drafted in the last five years through camp. You know, for a tryout, including Kevin White. So they're obviously looking for bodies right now. Um, but I think the other thing is just what you mentioned: the O line. They add Trent Williams. You know, is going to now play left tackle for them. He's top fifteen in the league most years. Um, Tomlinson at left guard, 29th out of 81 last year at Pro Football Focus. Um, the the rest of the offensive line is all – they're not great, but they're really good, and the scheme is amazing, right? So if you look at – here's what here's one crazy stat I found with Shanahan, you know, just looking and digging through all the data. If you look at his breakaway percentage on runs, here are his offenses. These aren't backs. These are his, these are his offense, which means he's done this everywhere he's been no matter who his backs have been 6.4 percent 5.9 percent 3.7 percent that was his worst year um 6.2 percent 4.8 4 5.1 4.8 5.3 4.8 you know so i mean 
his game, his running game, it's, you know, so breakaway attempts, those are 15, 15 yards or more. So I'm just dividing the number of attempts by the team um, and we'll dividing the number of uh, attempts over 15 yards by the total amount of attempts by the team. And those are really, really good numbers. And uh, it's just, it's, you know, a hat tip really, you know, to him and what he does from a scheme standpoint. But last year, I mean, their average margin of a victory, Matt, was 10.6 points. That's pretty big. They were minus 5.8 and minus 3.3 and 18 and 19. But last year, yes, everything really came together. Um, you know, as far as, you know, last season, they probably, you know, even outplayed what they should have, you know, won, you know, Matt. I mean, from a complete standpoint, being completely honest, as good as they were, I mean, they won 13 games. They could have easily been 12 or 11, which is still really good. They had a lot of things break their way. Yeah. Um, this year, Vegas has them at 10 and a half. Oh, surprise, surprise, because Vegas is pretty smart. They know this, right? Pro Football Focus has them at 9.8 for many of the same reasons. Um, so there were some things that in games that could have went one way or another that really broke the right way for them. Now, again, they're still expected to be a really good team. And for fantasy purposes, it's just it's going to be a hyper-efficient you know, offense as long as everybody remains healthy. They drafted defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw you know, after trading away. Um, sorry, why am I going blank to the Colts, Matt? Oh, they trade away defensive tackle anyway yeah whatever <laughs> people who are listening know better than we do yeah yeah on that one they'll know who we're talking about but he's a cult i have no clue why i can't think that's gonna drive me crazy but then they added brandon Ayuk, you know in the second round i know a guy you like uh Jawan jennings you know uh in the seventh round um they did add a guard tom compton um and they lot but they did lose emmanuel sanders um they do not run a lot of 11 personnel. This is one of those teams that like they like to run the 12, the 21, the 22 sets. So they ran 12 20% of the time, which was 14th in the league. They ran uh, 21 personnel 27% of the time because Kyle Juszczyk's a badass, and that was number one in the league. And then they ran 22, which is a formation you really don't see that much in the NFL. That's at 9%. That was fourth in the league. So they like to go heavy. They like to use a lot of play action. Um, you know, the touchdowns per attempt are always really high for this team um, because of, you know, the bind that they put defenses in. So I think it's, you know, it's it's what Shanahan does. He's got the weapons that he wants. He just needs them to be healthy. Yeah, and I, and I love it. You know, right now, you know, we look at this team and I have them at 990 plays and at a 50-50 run to pass exact. I have... Jim, you know, and we're going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo right off the bat. Um, if you ask me, um, he's pretty as a player. Like, Pete, you know, if you're one of those quarterback esthetes when it comes to evaluation, you want to talk about footwork and the great quick release and, you know, the ability to spin the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the best quarterbacks in the league at that. Um, when you want someone to be a field general, He's still kind of more like a field lieutenant at this point, you know, um, good enough to make some decisions, um, but not good enough to not get over. You know, he still gets overmatched in a lot of situations. Um, so he's a guy that we're going to have to watch. And when you look at this team, you know, I think Emmanuel Sanders was a huge difference maker for this offense. They didn't have a player who could run the route tree, the entire route tree. I mean, listen, Debo Samuel, fantastic young player, great athlete, great athlete, had trouble getting off press coverage. You know, you had Kendrick Bourne, overachiever, 
love what he's done. Really not a physical threat downfield. You had Marquise Goodwin. When he's healthy, he's a good deep threat. Doesn't always stay healthy. Doesn't always do a lot. He can run some inside routes. A little underrated on the, the dig routes. Can do that pretty well. But still not really a complete receiver. Jalen Hurd hurt. Dante Pettis, who was supposed to be their top receiver, showed up overweight, out of shape, and ended up in the doghouse. You know, so basically your best route runner is your tight end, George Kittle, um, because Emmanuel Sanders left for who may end up, I, my prediction could be the eventual NFC um, champions this year um, because of his addition to that Drew Brees offense in New Orleans. So, you know, Garoppolo needs someone who's going to be where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. And the best candidate right now, well, if you count one type of route, it might be Samuel when he's healthy, you know, but your best candidate's probably your tight end. And then after that, it might be Dante Pettis. Um, and as we've seen with Garoppolo, he has some issues being able to make plays under pressure. Like he, it may not show up as bad statistically, but we've seen on tape, especially in the Super Bowl, where he folded like a cheap suit on some of these plays, you know, and it was the biggest game of his life. And it's tough to have to judge a player based on the most pressure filled moment in their career and say they folded like a cheap suit and say they always are going to do that. But at Eastern Illinois, Jimmy Garoppolo was, a, I'll just say this. Um, I was contacted by a, a team in the, um, in the AFC that wanted me to weigh in on the thoughts of, of Jimmy Garoppolo because their scouting staff liked that, liked him a lot. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I think that team probably would have been better off with Garoppolo than who they ended up taking. Um, but I, I gave the case as to why Garoppolo has some things that they should not be in love with. And they were conceptual issues with pressure. And the fact that he seemed to duck away from pressure. You see him a lot trying to hurry his throws. And he's mastered it as a technique. He's mastered the technique of being able to alter his body to avoid the hit to, and still get the ball off accurately. But there are plays where when he does that, he really screws the pooch um, in terms of being able to like throw the ball accurately or throw it and see where he's throwing the ball. Um, there are still moments where the basically the light switch goes off and all sorts of mayhem goes on um, in the dark, you know, in terms of his in terms of his game. So, you know, with that in mind, I'm going to give you my numbers, but then I'm sure Dwayne's going to have some data for you to to add on to Garoppolo to talk about his game. I've met 495 attempts, you know, 50% of the of the of the workload for snaps, 335 completions at 67.7%. Again, most situations he's very good you know in terms of just you know this is a hyper efficient offense as Dwayne said they they tend to be able to create situations that give make an easy time for Garoppolo it's when he plays the best teams that say we're not going to let you just use this one tool or use this one tool we're going to make you think we're going to make you be creative that's when things get a little hairy for him sometimes he does really well and then there's other times where he self-destructs 
I haven't met 4,068 yards, 8.22 yards per cat per attempt. Pretty healthy. 30 touchdowns, also pretty healthy. 6.1% of his attempts is touchdowns. Again, thinking that this run game is going to create a lot of opportunities for him once again. 16 interceptions, 3.2% of his attempts. Why? Because I think that teams are going to look at what happened last year and say, yeah, you've got Trent Williams. Yeah, you've got the strong running game. Yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna hit us pretty big time with some of these some of these you know big awesome plays off of play action. But there's gonna be some weeks I think that they're gonna foil Jimmy Garoppolo. I think there's gonna be some teams that are gonna say, yeah, you're not playing the Cincinnati Bengals this this week, Jimmy. You, you know you're gonna be. You're going to be facing some teams that are going to make you do things that will make you uncomfortable. I will not be surprised at all if he has two or three games with two to three to four interceptions in them this year. Um, I think he's going to get found out a little bit. I'm at 43 rushing attempts, 70 yards rushing, um, and one touchdown. That puts Jimmy Garoppolo on my list as a guy that I'm not necessarily drafting. I have him as 19th on my board. Um, You know... He's just ahead of Cam Newton, just behind Derek Carr, um, you know, in that range of guys, just behind Teddy Bridgewater, which, you know, is kind of surprising, but we'll talk about the NFC South um, next week. I would, I think the problem is, is that Jimmy Garoppolo's not going to be in enough games where he's going to get garbage time. The ground game's going to be enough to keep this team in games. Um, in ways that they're going to be able to run enough that Garoppolo's just not going to have those big weeks every week. Whereas guys like, you know, Bridge, well, I'm not even going to say Bridgewater, guys like Goff and Minshew, who are just outside that Dwayne's top 14, but my top 14, you know, type of thing, those guys could give you some garbage time yards. You know, Josh Allen can at least be a, you know, one third running back for you. Aaron Rodgers will say, screw my coaches i want to throw the ball damn it and like do that and then you know they'll be threatening him with love and he'll go yeah go ahead um because jordan love is yeah okay you know (laughs) he's ipecac for me um i'll just put it that way ipecac solution of quarterbacks for me at this point um he's got a lot to learn so you look at garoppolo and i just think you look at the system the efficiency of everything and it kind of hurts him as a fantasy option what say you yeah, I, man, you hit a lot of great stuff there. And I would say that actually um, the data really aligns with everything you just said, you know. Wow. So he didn't he didn't take a ton of negative plays, but his big time throws, 31st out of 35. He just <laughs> right. doesn't make the big plays. Like you said, tur- turnover worthy plays are right in the middle of the league. Under pressure, he's slightly worse than the rest of the league. From a clean pocket, slightly better, but still within the average. It's not like he's blowing things up, you know. Third downgrade, slightly above. Um, you know, his accuracy, you know, is really good. You know, like you said, you know, he can spin the ball. Um, he does he does a lot of things, you know, really well from that perspective. You know, his his accuracy plus, which what what you would call pinpoint, Matt. He ranked six out of thirty-five. His overall uh, ranking with accuracy, meaning it's within the frame of the receiver to catch. So that's pinpoint plus within the frame. He was 11 out of 35. Um, uncatchable, he he was sixth out of 35. And, and the lower number's better in that category. So that's where he's 
he's good. You know, if he if he has the time to do the things he needs to do, you know, he's a, he can be an accurate quarterback. Um, but to your point, he's just kind of, you know, he's kind of meh. You know, he's not anything that just really blows you away. Uh, and I think there are some potential things, just like what you outlined, that he, where he's just sitting right on the line, you know, with several things. Um, and if he gets challenged in new ways, that could definitely be problematic. You know, the way I approach a lot of these quarterbacks uh, like Garoppolo, I will say he gets a really easy schedule out of the gate. Um, you know, I think the first three games he might have the easiest schedule in the league. But again, we know it's a team that in those games will run the ball freaking 60% of the time if it has to. So it's like, how much upside do you really get out of it? You know, and I am worried about the Emmanuel Sanders loss because you mentioned the key thing. He could run the whole route tree. Ayuk is really more in the mold of Samuel. So even if Samuel and Ayuk are like healthy, they're both really good run after the catch guys, but can they run a full route tree? Can you trust them to be where they need to be? I think that's a problem, you know, and so that's going to put a lot of pressure to your point, I think on George Kittle, um, you know, so though there are positive with, with Garoppolo, but the way I look at quarterbacks like this, Matt, I like them in best ball because you can get them really late because if you go look at these guys, these type of guys that play in these offenses, they will pop four or five times in the year where they're in the top five. So sometimes I'll draft a Garoppolo and I know this may seem like sacrilege, but I put Aaron Rodgers in the same group right now because of the scheme they're trying to run. No, and Rodgers was that way last year, yeah. right? He had like four or five games where he's the number, you know, in the top three quarterbacks, but the rest were, you know, were, were crappy. So you can get a Aaron Rodgers late, put him with a Garoppolo, and then grab one more guy like Kirk Cousins, right, out of that group. Or you could even grab like a Ryan Tannehill out of that group, and you can draft three quarterbacks at the end. And in best ball, you don't have to worry about picking which one. And you didn't have to spend an early pick, you know, on quarterback. Can That's just, basically the only way I use them. <laughs> yeah. Could you just imagine so, like Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, and Aaron Rodgers in the three amigo suits? <laughs> yeah, I think that would actually be a really great, you know, uh picture for your team if you do that. You know, right. you should put the three amigos on, you know, your logo for your team. If you're listening to this and then you go draft a best ball team like that. Which and one's Martin that... Short? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, who would you put as Martin Short? I I think I'd probably put ooh, you know. Because who's who's Steve Martin? Yeah, that's true. I'd probably yeah, because Kirk Cousins. Kirk Martin Cousins Short? is Chevy Chase. He's got to be Chevy Chase. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Oh, because of the do you, do you like that? I just he's got that crazy side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he's like just as vanilla as vanilla gets, but like you know, but but yeah kind of angry vanilla like you know passive aggressive chevy chase is kind of that way so 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 yeah so i think i think we have to say aaron Rodgers is steve martin because steve martin was like a superstar at one time in his life you know and then i guess now, now he's just a badass on a banjo good grief have you seen him yeah he is a badass on a banjo. he's always been a badass on a banjo but then i guess that leaves jimmy garoppolo to be martin short I don't know. That's an insult to Martin Short a little bit. But you know who Jimmy Garoppolo is? I'll just put it to you this way. Go watch the replacements. If Jimmy, if Chad <laughs> Kelly is Keanu Reeves in that, because I got to bring up Chad Kelly as part of my contract with the devil, then Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback that Chad Kelly replaced in the middle of the strike season who decides to come back in the middle of the year. Kind of the pretty boy kind of thing going on. You know, I don't know if Garoppolo probably has his teammates probably like him a lot more than that dude. But you know, that's that's the way I see it from my very limited perspective. Yeah, we're close on projections. I've got him at 517 <laughs> attempts. I've got the team at 52-48. You know, okay. pass to run. 
Um, easily could be 50 50. I'm, I'm expecting them to be challenged a little bit more this year. So I've got them 52 48. And then I've got them at eight and a quarter per attempt. Oh, wait, sorry. 68% completion rate, eight and a quarter per attempt. That's 4,260 yards. Uh, I've got them at 27 touchdown passes and 14 interceptions. Um, the one thing I will say, again, you know, while I like these guys in best ball, every so many years, you will have a Shanahan quarterback just go nuts. Like, it'll just all click. It happened with Matt Ryan. Remember the year Matt Ryan went bananas under Shanahan in Atlanta? And, and Matt Ryan's a really good quarterback. So, yes. I mean, I'm not trying to disservice Matt Ryan. But this happens. And it's similar to what happened with Tannehill last year, right? Yeah. He wasn't throwing the ball a ton. But, man, everything clicked. And defenses just couldn't get them figured out. And, I mean, Tannehill – if you owned him, he was basically your freaking antidote to the poison over your whole league called Lamar Jackson. And yeah. he was it. If you didn't have him, you were screwed because yeah. Lamar Jackson was killing you at quarterback if he wasn't on your team. So every few years, it does happen. And so I will say, if if any of these quarterbacks like this, it could be Cousins, it could be Garoppolo, it could even be Aaron Rodgers if he's sitting on your waiver and they sit in this kind of scheme and you see they're off to a hot start, don't yeah. be afraid to go grab yeah, them, get them, you know, because they can, it, it could just keep going. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting pretty, I'm, I'm like you, these aren't guys that I draft a lot. If I do draft one of them, I am drafting Jimmy G because he goes a little later and he does have a schedule to start the season that if for whatever reason, the run game isn't working, or let's just say they decide, oh, we'll let him pass a little bit more and he gets off to this really hot start. Then maybe you trade him. I think he could add value like that, you know, or, you know, he goes on to have that hot season and you let him prove himself out a few more weeks and maybe he finds his way into your lineup as a starter. Um, but I have him, you know, right now sitting, you know, outside my top 14, but he's in that first, he's in that next tier, um, you know, below it. Um, and, I, you know, I kind of bucket all those guys that I just talked about pretty close together. They yeah. run a similar scheme. They've got each one of them has some kind of an issue with their weapons. Um each one of them could be less efficient than last year. Some of them could need to pass more than last year, but ultimately they're all kind of the same, you know, as far as, as far as where they sit. So um, as far as rushing yards, I just have him at 40 attempts for 60 yards and one touchdown. Yeah. So, I mean, this, that's good advice. And I think I would go for the idea of trading him too. And this is going to sound completely silly, but I actually really believe this logic here is that when it comes to fantasy players, you know, the, the psychology you want to consider when you're trading Jimmy Garoppolo is that these men are going to find Jimmy Garoppolo handsome, not in a homosexual sort of way, nothing wrong with that at all, but, and maybe some, you know, in your league too as well, but, but he's a, he's a handsome guy. Exactly. And he's a handsome guy and we are always influenced by looks. We are. And I've Mm -hmm. seen guys, you know, those, you know, I've seen guys, you know, the guy in your league, that that guy who's still wearing axe or, you know, or, or still has that kind of attitude or the equivalent of it, you know, and he's going to see Garoppolo and see a little bit of himself or what he wants himself to be in Garoppolo. That good looking guy seems to be on top of his game, dating porn stars, you know, has the pretty release, you know, on the, on the glamorous offense, you know it. And so if you want to trade him and he's playing hot, they're going to be drooling all over wanting to get the rock star quarterback. You're going to get good value for trading Jimmy Garoppolo as stupid as that rationale sounds it's 
it's there. He's at, what would you call it, Dwayne? The magic bullet. He's the magic bullet yep. quarterback, you know, for sure. You know, and I'm sure that if, you know, if his, you know, anyway, I won't even get into the, the joke. Well, about I'll say stated. that you are right. Like I see it in work environments, yeah. right? Sometimes the best people are passed over. And I think it's because there's a perception that, you know, and this is why looks, when people say looks matter, they really do. Yeah. And I don't think it's that you have to be like the most handsome or beautiful person, but like, I think it's just a tip to everybody. Like just realize it may not be right, but it does matter. So take care of yourself, right. you know, yeah. present yourself well, you know, put your yeah. best foot forward. And I think, you know, while it may seem silly and it is wrong, it still happens. And it's yeah. to your point, it's hardwired into people to some extent at this point. Yeah. Like I've had people on my team in the past who were the best people on my team. And when I would go to get them promoted, I would be challenged by my bosses. And I guarantee you that was part of it. Absolutely. They thought that the person was sloppy because of X and it was nothing to do with their work, which was a plus. Now I fought to get them, you know what they deserve, sure. but I had to fight for it. And yeah. I, I know that was part of it. Oh, absolutely is. So if you're in a work league and you have that kind of boss, trade them Jimmy Garoppolo. That's <laughs> You brought it all back together. There we go. See, there we now go. Now let's talk what everybody wants to know. About let's, receivers. Can we, can we, no, we got to start with the running backs. Really? The 49ers, okay. Matt. That's what everybody wants to know. They want to know, does Matt Waldman, you know, one of the best evaluators of, of, of talent, does he think Raheem Mostert is worth a fifth or sixth round pick? Because that's what people are faced with in fantasy leagues with, you know, the 49ers running game. Short answer, absolutely he is. He so is. Because I – Listen, everyone's going to say, oh, Jarek McKinnon. Okay. Oh, Tevin Coleman. Okay. Listen, Jarek McKinnon hasn't been able to stay healthy since God knows when. He's <laughs> He was a former quarterback down the road from me at Sprayberry High School. Very good option player uh, at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern turns out some really good football players. Um, but he's not a complete running back. People have wanted him to be for years. He was like Duke Johnson before Duke Johnson in terms of like the the fantasy height. Maybe you know I would put Jarek McKinnon, Duke Johnson, and and Rex Burkhead in the same category. Like if you like them, then you know you're you have a thing for guys who haven't really done anything yet. So McKinnon is talented physically, but he's just not that savvy as a creative runner who can really use all of his tools at the right time. And that's the thing that's tough about him is that that's why I think fantasy people like him is that some of the analysts that I've heard that I even respect who do, who've liked McKinnon in the past, they see elements of the game, but what they don't see is that they don't see him actually. Um, they don't realize that he hasn't really put it all together. Like he doesn't really, um, how would I best put it? Blend his game together in a way where it's integrated. It's you. You can see moments where he uses his speed well, but he doesn't always use it well at the right time. <laughs> you know, he doesn't use his power always at the right time in combination with his speed. It's just not integrated technique. Tevin Coleman has become a decent runner. He's and and he is definitely a Kyle Shanahan pet. But I think Shanahan realized fairly quickly. Yeah. I thought he could, I, I wanted to take him with me. I I probably overpaid, you know, um, but he's a good receiver. He's a good space player. He's a competent outside zone runner now, now that he's had a couple of years to actually learn the difference between, 
you know, the three carries for 200, you know, 200 yards that he gained against Ohio State out of the 10 others and then the 10 to 15 others that he didn't be able to gain anything, you know, that he could get away with that in the NFL. Like he actually had to be efficient on every carry. And that means having to learn how to read his blocking scheme and not just outrun everybody. Um, he's to figure that out. But he's not Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert is a good running back. And when the 49ers were like just kind of quiet when Mostert said, yeah, look, you know, you're going to have to trade me or you're going to have to pay up. Because, yeah, I've bounced around to five to six different teams and I'm nearly 30. And, yes, this was really my first, you know, full, you know, my first real segment of a season where I got to start. But you know I'm the best running back on this team. And, you know, everyone I've heard people laughing about that and saying whatever. The 49ers ponied up some money. They figured out some some way to get him some dough to get him satisfied. And they did that because they know he's right. Jer, um, Raheem Mostert has he's skilled at outside zone. He's he has good functional power. He he's a better finisher than Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman cannot finish. He drops his head into contact and falls straight to the ground. When you finish on a play and you drop your pads, you don't want to bend at the waist. You don't want to drop your head because as soon as you get hit, you're going to fall where you got hit. If you oh, if you have your head up and your pads align correctly, when you hit someone head on or split defenders as a runner, you're going to get three to five extra yards, you know, at least. Raheem Mostert does that, even as a lighter back than Tevin Coleman was. And Mostert's gained weight. But Mostert can... Moser has good footwork. He has more efficient footwork than the backs like Jarek McKinnon, who's not very efficient with his footwork. Um, he's a he's a decent receiver, not great, but I think he can get better. But he's a guy that he has great speed. He's got that Tevin Coleman breakaway spe- speed even faster, and he's a, a tougher runner and a better finisher. So Moser to me may not be like a three hundred carry back. I don't think he's going to be there. But I think if you look at him in the range of 240 to 260 carries, I think he can do that. And you can still get about 130 to 140 carries from Tevin Coleman and, you know, see that him being a factor in the offense. But Mostert's the lead back. And if Coleman gets hurt, if McKinnon and Coleman get hurt, and they got to lean on, say, like Jamichael Hasty as a, who's an intriguing runner. Um, you could, you're going to look at Raheem Mostert, maybe get upwards of 300 carries. And the reason I say that is that, yeah, they gave him a small raise because they want to keep him on the team and they want to keep him happy, but they know he's old for a young, for a running back who's an experience. So what would you do if you're the 49ers? You'd wear the sucker out, man. Like, because you know he's not going to get that second deal. He knows he's probably not going to get that second deal. If he's got a smart agent, agent's like, get the raise you can get and and play play your ass off for the next Ball two to out. three years because this is it, man. You you, you congratulations. You work you you are in the Hall of Fame of free agents who work their way into a starting position, make the most of it because you ain't getting a gold jacket, buddy. You just, you know, just do have people at the end of their career look at you and go, he was really good when he finally got on the field and he's in that situation. So that's my thoughts on Raheem Mostert. Yeah, that's great. Um, I've, I'm with you. 
I, I think Mostert leads the backfield. I've got him at 47.5% of the carries. I've got Coleman at 32.5%. So I don't quite have Mostert to 50% even because I see them also getting McKinnon a little work, right? They've shown over the last couple of years they like to use three guys. But at the same time, you know, he does come from Daddy Mike. And Daddy Mike, I remember whenever he let uh, an old dude named Mike Anderson blow up two seasons. So, I mean... It's not like this guy hadn't been exposed to that kind of thing. Terrell Davis was similar, a special teams player that came up out of nowhere and then turned into a superstar. So I, I know that those are just, those are like anecdotal things. But I mean, the kid was, you know, he was a kid raised around that. So he sees a guy like Mostert. I think, you know, I've probably been, I haven't drafted Mostert much, Matt. I've drafted him when he's fallen to me. Um, I don't like, he's not a guy that I reach for. Um, I think when I've taken him, he's gone. I've taken him in the sixth round coming back down. If I was already really good at receiver and, you know, I, maybe I started with one running back. Right. And then I took, you know, four receivers in a row. I might come back with most or, you know, after that, depending on what was there, but I think you make some really good points for him. And I, I mean, I love the scheme. And, and to your point, if Tevin Coleman went down, which Tevin Coleman's got a history of, play, of you know, not being able to play very well through injury, not just get hurt, his his play dramatically drops off when he's hurt. He's know? the so Will he just, Fuller he, of running backs, but not as good as Will Fuller as Will Fuller right, is as a receiver. Yes. I think that's a great comparison. So, and, and McKinnon, to your point, I mean, how long? I mean, I think he's an ancillary player, right? But it is enough to be annoying to you as a fantasy owner. And that's, that's my biggest com- complaint with the team. Now, if one of those goes down, you just hit a freaking gold mine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's what I will say. I, I, you know, anytime I've talked about M- Mostert on Twitter, I was like, look, and he was going higher early in the draft season. He's getting more reasonable now. Like I see him slip into the six quite a bit more now. And so in that range in a 12 man league, I, I don't think, in the right roster construction, I could see the value in Mostert, and I certainly get the upside um, that's available. Um, so I've, I've got him at the 47.5%. That's 218 attempts, you know, 980 yards. I've got him at seven touchdowns. I don't have him very involved at all in the passing game. That was his challenge last year. So even down the stretch when he blew up, um, you know, a couple of quick things. Um, number one, you know, his snaps. Um, if you look at his snaps over the end of the season, um, he only reached running back two status, right, for average of what you should do. You know, you, you want to at least average 55% to be an RB2 typically. He barely hit that line in, in four weeks, and one week he didn't. Now, he had one week where he was at 73%, um, you know, and in that week he scored 25 fantasy points, you know, basically right on the line of an RB1. So going along with your thought process of in the weeks where he gets the full load, He's going to give you 25, 30 points, and you're going to be super, super happy about it. Um, but down the stretch, even in the playoffs, you know, they had games, you know, there was a game where Coleman was really the main guy, you know, and Shanahan will still occasionally, if, if he thinks a guy's hot, like he'll just switch on you. And so you just have to be ready to deal with that if you own Mostert, um, because I think if you do draft him, you kind of just got to start him every week, you, you know, because, because he's going to hit the big plays. If, if, if they – if they, for some reason, you know, can't get him, can't if he can't score a touchdown, you know, he's going to have some frustrating weeks for you because I don't expect him to be very involved, you know, in the passing game um, unless one of these other guys go down. So I've got him at 5% of the targets. Uh, that's 26 with 20 catches. And I've got him with one receiving touchdown. 
Um, Coleman, I've got at 32.5% of the carries. That's 150. So a little more than a normal change of pace back. Normal change of pace back is like 100 carries. You're at 120 carries. I've got Coleman at 150. I think part of it is loyalty, to your point, that, you know, this is his, this is Shanahan's pet, right? He drafted him at, you know, with the Falcons. You know, he got some really good production production out of him on limited type work like this, a more of a role like this, right? Not not a 200, 220 carry role. So I think he's got designs on, man, let Mostert be the lead guy, but he thinks Coleman can still give him some big plays. He can help in the passing game and let's just keep the guy healthy, right? And I think that, you know, does provide value for Coleman um, because he really, people just aren't paying attention to him. Like he, for being a guy that's in the 49ers backfield, uh, I see McKinnon only go two to three rounds later than Coleman, right? But Coleman goes like six rounds, five to six rounds after Mostert. To me, that that math is off. Like McKinnon, I mean, um, Coleman should be going, you know, ninth, tenth round in fantasy drafts. And if you need a running back and you just went upside down or you went zero running back, I think he's a great guy, right, to still stash, you know, on your roster. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that I don't mind even owning both of them. I'm not trying to do it, but if it works out right, then I know between the two, if one of them goes down, I can feel pretty good about it. But I've got Coleman more involved in the passing game. So 149 attempts, 670 yards, both of them are at four and a half attempts. They're in a great offense. They could easily average five and no one would blink an eye. Um, I've got Coleman with five rushing touchdowns. That may be a tad, you know, high, Matt. I'm looking at him being fresher and getting more of, you know, the kind of role that they had him in in Atlanta, making some more big plays. Um, 8% of the targets, that's 41 um, 33 receptions, 265 yards receiving, and two rushing touchdowns. So Coleman, I've still got, you know, right around eight, you know, 900 yards total with, you know, seven touchdowns. So I've got him below Mostert, you know, by about 25 fantasy points total. Um, but I think he's definitely draftable in the 10th round, and sometimes he even makes it into the 11th. Nice. So, yeah, I, I can tell you right off the bat, I have Tevin Coleman as my 40th ranked back. Um, I believe in PPR. I have Tevin. I have Raheem Mostert as my twenty-third back in in PPR. I think it's PPR. Or let me look real quick. Yeah, it is indeed PPR. Yeah, indeed PPR that I'm looking at there. So, but Mostert is a guy that I think can be even higher on there, um, higher on your board as you mentioned. Like I have Mostert at two hundred and sixty attempts. At 1,192 yards, he added weight this year. I think he added weight for a reason. I think he was like most employees who, you know, get get hired and the, and the people are like, well, you know, if you do what you're supposed to do, you really have an opportunity to do well in this particular, at this company. And then you like take on more responsibility than they anticipated. And then you have to kind of say, hey, look, you know, I was doing half of your job, so where's my where's my raise you know because you now you're giving me two-thirds of your job you, you know and that's nice and everything but i'm still underpaid by the other employee who's doing half the work i'm doing so what's you know what's up and i think that's what happened to him this summer and they agreed they know he's going to take on more if they're going to add that weight if he's they probably asked him to add that weight. I have to think that they asked him to add a little more muscle to handle that. So I have him at 260 attempts, 1,192 yards, 4.58 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns. He's very good in the red zone from what I've seen in terms of how he hits creases. Um, he's very good at finding the small 
creases that I don't think Coleman's very good at. I well, what 20- you just gave Matt, he should basically be a third round pick. Well, that's what a lot of people, you know, I understand. But, you know, I have him at 223 um, PPR points. So I don't have him that evolved in the passing game. That's the thing. Okay. I so, got him at 193. So we're really not that far off. But man, that's that's a big that's a big line on the ground. It is a big and line. And I could see, I could see how I could totally see how it would happen. Yeah, I I totally see him having that on the ground cuz at targets in terms of re- receptions, 22 targets, 14 receptions, okay. less than one a game, 180 yards, you know, have some big plays on on some screens cuz they're great at the screen game. He'll have a couple of touchdowns there, but I have him at 223 fantasy points PPR wise. So, so basically you just want the 49ers, you know, to keep game scripts intact, right? Yep. Because the the players like this are the ones that when all of a sudden, if the teams are behind, that's where those Valley weeks come from Yes. because they're, they're not really used in the passing game. And then all of a sudden Coleman will be out there more McKinnon will get a little bit more run, but if the 49ers remain dominant, I think that's a key for most. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to be a nine or ten win team, that's most likely what's going to happen. You're going to easier schedule early on. I think you're going to see that even in the tougher schedules, they have a good defense. They can play close. You know, they can keep it close. You have Trent. You have Trent Williams. You have Trent Williams on the offensive line. This was already a good offensive line, and now you got Trent Williams. I mean, oh my God! Like outside zone, Trent Williams. So you like? So you you think he's a major upgrade over Staley? Leaving? Yes, yes, yes. I think Trent, a lot of people do. A lot of yeah. people do, even at his age. Yeah. A lot of people that really watch say this guy can still mash. Trent Trent Williams outside zone run game. Woo! I cannot wait to watch. I cannot wait to watch this. You know. So yeah, Raheem Mostert is great on outside zone. So, yeah, that's why I think this is going to be a really fun thing to, to watch. I just don't, as a Seahawks fan, I don't really want to watch it in those games. But um, Tevin <laughs> Coleman, I have him at 137 attempts. I have him at 594 yards, 4.335 yards per ca- for um, target. I have him at six touchdowns because once he gets into that open field, mm-hmm. he's got those afterburners. So he certainly is a very good open field runner. Um I'm at 30 targets, probably a little more modest than I should because I gave more to Jarek McKinnon. But I have him at 30 targets, 21 receptions, 180 yards for one touchdown. I have him at ranked 40th on PPR. If McKinnon gets hurt, most of those targets that I have for McKinnon are going to wind up in Coleman's um, agenda. So Jarek McKinnon, I have him at 25 attempts, 113 yards, one touchdown. I've met 22 targets, 19 receptions, 120 yards, and a touchdown. So I could conceivably see where Tevin Coleman gets about 45 to 50 targets, somewhere between 35 to 40 receptions, and somewhere between 250, 300 yards receiving. Um, Yeah, and I think if they keep him fresh, there could be a need to get an additional playmaker involved in the passing game. And I just think that's also where Coleman could get used because I mean, Ayuk, we yeah. don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, you got questions with Devo Samuel, um, you know, as much as we like Pettis and he's great on film, he still hasn't done it yet. So, I mean, they, they may have to get creative. I mean, Kittle can't do everything. Yeah. And you talk about Ayuk, you know, listen, you know, you said he's not a complete receiver. And the, the funny thing is I see analysis. Well, here's the, here's the two to three routes that, Emmanuel Sanders did on a regular basis 
that Ayuk does really well on a regular basis and why that fits. Um, and I think that's good analysis to show, you know, most of the time he's going to fill in what Sanders does. But what separates Sanders from Ayuk is that Sanders is going to run the routes that Ayuk can't, that the when the defense says, we're going to stop that noise. Like, yeah, you can run that all day against the Cincinnati's of the world or the New York Jets of the world. But, you know, we're the Seattle Seahawks. We're not going to allow that. You know, we're the Dallas Cowboys. We're not going to allow that. Whatever, whoever the team is. And they're going to say, we want you to throw some big boy routes. And, and, and we're going to have to make you throw in the middle of the field or run some different routes than what you normally do and do it on third and 12 or second and 17. Are you going to be able to get the yards needed to get back on script? They don't have a receiver who's proven that. That's what Emmanuel Sanders did. Brandon Ayuk has not, didn't even do that at Arizona State. You know, he was a double move receiver who ran slant routes and crossing routes. You know, that was what he did. I've heard he's prepared really well. And that's a great thing. That's a must, obviously, as we've seen with Pettis, that you better be prepared. Even George Kittle said that his second year, you know, Shanahan coached him hard, you know, um, and said that he really got nitpicked to death. And, and you know, he had to work through that. But when you look at this team, you know, Ayuk, I have met 70 targets right now, and that's before the injury. You know, with the injury now, I'm wondering whether I need to drop him, but I've met 70 targets, 35 receptions, 434 yards, 12.4 yards per catch, and four touchdowns. That's not starter material, okay? I, I, he's, a, he's a flex play at best. Really, he's a bi-week play, you know, if you ask me, um, looking at that. Debo Samuel, even with the injury, when we first heard about the injury, I cut down his targets to 80. Um, so I still have him at 80 targets, 54 receptions, 783 yards at 14.5 per catch and six touchdowns and also a rushing touchdown um, with 12 attempts for 118 yards. I don't see how him missing all this time is going to magically help him become a better press receiver um, in terms of being able to get off tight man coverage. So I think teams are going to still feast on him in terms of being able to stop him with that tight man to man. Kendrick Bourne. 45 targets, 30 catches, 358 yards, 11.9 yards per catch, five touchdowns. Him and rapport, him and um, Garoppolo had a nice rapport in the red zone. I could see how he ends up with that. But if there's a guy that's the real wild card in this because of Hurd being hurt, because Richie James is just basically a special teams guy, because Trent Taylor is is basically somebody's dream of you know something. He's a really good slot receiver. But I don't think he fits in what they want him to do anymore. The the neck injury probably is a, or back injury is probably a concern. But it's Dante Pettis. And, you know, I was a fan. He had a horrible season. He didn't come in shape. He took a responsibility for it. Um, Shanahan said he has. Shanahan says he's looked good in practice. He's playing over the middle. He's playing tough, playing strong. He's worked. You know, he got the message when he got benched in the Super Bowl. He wasn't even on the active roster, you know. And he said that was a low point. I realized that I had to take responsibility for myself. I want to be a player in this league. And you need to remember that at the worst moment of his, uh, at his lowest point, which might not have been the Super Bowl, but the lowest point of the preseason when he was just square in that doghouse and wasn't getting out, Kyle Shanahan told the media, Dante Pettis has the talent to be one of the best receivers in the league. 
He just needs to approach the game like one of the best receivers in the league. Um, and so I look at Pettis. I'm at 38 targets, 30 receptions, 400 yards, and two touchdowns. That was basically when Samuel got hurt and before he showed out in camp. So now that he's continued to show out for about two weeks and played well enough, I'm most likely going to take some of Brandon Ayuk's targets and some of probably some of Debo Samuel's targets and give them the Pettis and probably put Pettis somewhere in the range of 45 to 50 targets, somewhere in the range of 35 to 45 receptions and in the range of probably, you know, 500 to 550 yards and give him maybe another two touchdowns, give him about four. I think he's going to be, again, not a, he's going to be a bi-week player for you. But if we have another injury or he, he becomes one of the starting two receivers, like, and we won't know this until another week or two. If Kyle Shanahan says, because I'm sure Shanahan's going, let's just see. I'm going to ride I'm going to ride him tough. I'm going to give him that tough love because he. I gave it to him last year. He's done all the right things, but I'm going to be giving that extra dosage this year and he's going to have, I'm going to ride his ass. And I think what's probably happening here is that I would not be shocked at all if he goes, my two starting receivers, if Debo Samuel comes back, will be Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel. Or it'll be, we're going with Kendrick Bourne and we're going to have a rotation with Brandon Ayuk and, and Pettis. But the real answer is that by week three, week four, we could easily see Dante Pettis be the starting receiver on this in these 12 and 22 person, you know, 12 um, personnel sets and, um, you know, thing and, and, and 11 personnel sets when they run them. And he could wind up easily being a 70 target, 80 target receiver in this offense and actually be the one of the leading two options but he has that downside as well so but i think he's basically earned himself the roster spot not just because of the injury but because of how he's played um so you know when we look at the rest of the receivers that's real actually that i've covered everybody so i'm good that's where i'm at with these guys what are your thoughts yeah i mean on pettis you know i don't have him for much but it's like you said um with the other injuries and everything that's occurring like he's the closest thing if he's motivated to Emmanuel Sanders. He's the one that can actually create separation that the other guys can't on every route, right? The other guys get a lot of scheme looks, you know, a lot of underneath, you know, uh, drags across the field where you get run after the catch, you know, or even crossers, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yes. And those guys are great at that. And they got a ton of run after the catch yard out of Debo, out of Debo Samuel last year. I mean, he was second to only AJ Brown, you know, both of those guys just went nuts off of play action. And so I think those things can still be there for those guys. And it's, it's something with Pettis's toughness or something, right. That, that Shanahan is looking for more. It's not that he can't run the routes that they can't get open because we saw him do that as a rookie. I saw him, I saw him put some of the top cornerbacks in the league on complete skates um, you know, with his route running. So it's all there. And so for me, like Pettis, I am definitely watching it. You know, he's not getting drafted right now, really anywhere, even in 20 uh, person leagues. So if he starts off, like you said, if all of a sudden that announcement happens and I'll be listening before them in all my leagues to see if this guy's, you know, maybe they let something out about oh, our, our two starting receivers are going to be 
whatever, Ayuk and Pettis, or, you know, who knows if Ayuk will be even ready. It could be born in Pettis, right? Right. If that happens, I'm with you. I'm not going to try to figure out on the rosters I can, I'm just going to go make a pickup, you know, before the season even starts. Because he is the guy that if it just all clicks for him, he could get on the field and never be taken off, yeah. right? He Because he can do it all. So I love what you have on Pettis. So as far as where I have it right now, I've got Ayuk at 17% of the targets. So that's 88 with 60 receptions, 717 yards, five touchdowns. It's 170 PPR points. So nothing super flashy. And to your point, I'm not super confident, you know, even in, in that right now, just because, you know, we just know what injuries do, you know, to receivers. You know, it puts you behind. In, in more ways, I think, than other positions, because it's not just it's not just learning the playbook. It's you've got to learn the playbook. You've got to learn. You still got to handle your technique, right? How do you beat press coverage in in the NFL? But then you also, on top of all that, you know, so everybody else has to learn their technique, learn the playbook, those things. But on top of that, like you have to develop chemistry with your quarterback. Like that's the additional layer. It's like running back has to develop it you know, with the offensive line, like you talked about. And so I just worry, you know, about a guy like Ayuk, um, even Samuel, you know, who showed that he had it last year with Garoppolo, even if he comes back, you know, three or four weeks in, how long does it take him, right, to get that back? Now, Samuel, by all, you know, you know, accounts is working really hard. But the biggest thing I fear with Samuel, Matt, is they rush him back too soon. And he yeah. re-injures. Yep. You know, I saw it happen with Des Bryant. You know, I mean, I, it's happened with multiple receivers. You know, A.J. Green has had those tricky foot years that, where they've tried to just get him through on maintenance. And as soon as you get him back out there, man, it's just they got to it's, – it, it's, Scar tissue, you know, all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's their feet. It's like their whole livelihood. Yeah. So it's just a tough thing. And so Samuel right now, I'm not drafting. I mean, because he's running in cleats, people have been drafting him in the eighth and, eighth and seventh round, and I think that's insane. I think there's – too many other players. I mean, give me CD Lamb all day, yeah. like over Debo Samuel right now because Lamb is healthy. Jerry Judy, so, Jerry Judy, I will take. I will. Yeah. I'll take Henry Ruggs over Debo. Marvin Samuel, Jones, Samuel. I might take over Samuel. He he should go over Samuel. Yeah. All the guys we just named, Rager probably should have until his injury. Right. You know. So to me, Debo should have fallen in the 11th, 12th round. Then he could become a value again because you stash him in a deeper league. You see if he gets healthy. And then, you know, if he comes back and gets hurt again, you dump him, you know, but it, it's kind of worth a bet, but you got to be patient with him. So people are drafting him like he's going to be ready for week one. And if he is ready for week one, I think that, I think that actually brings more risk to him than if, you know, it's week five before yeah. you see it. So, um, so I've got Samuel right now at 14% of the targets. Um, I, and it's, this is no hate against him. I was super excited about Debo Samuel this year, and it really stunk when I heard he got hurt, when I heard that he was hurt. So 14%, that's 72 targets, 50 receptions, 650 receiving yards, and four touchdowns. But it could also very easily be a zero. So yeah. that's the problem with Samuel. Like, you know, I don't know like how much upside I can really give him, you know, if they rush him back. I think his biggest upside is if they hold him out for four or five games and let him get hopefully fully healthy. And even then you won't know for sure. So it's tricky to, to project his upside because of that. His upside's really tied to don't play him early. And that kind of creates a conflict, right, in fantasy football terms. Not for NFL. That's what they should do, no doubt. Um, and they get that soft schedule to start. So why? Do you really need Debo? I mean, you get a really soft schedule out of the gate, let the guy rest. You know, now if they start off 0-2 and get beat by a couple teams they shouldn't, then I could see they may say, dude, you're going to have to strap it on. And But even then, you know, he gets an extra two weeks. 
So Bourne, I've got at 10% of the targets. Um, I've got him at 30, uh, 52 targets, 32 receptions, 371 yards. Um, those are the main guys. Everybody else I've got pretty small. I'll probably make a small adjustment um, you know, to Pettis because I really do love him. Um, I, I still own him on some dynasty teams, and I'm still definitely you know, I'm encouraged by what you just said, um, and I'll be watching the news on that. Yeah. I'll go ahead and hit Kittle because um, I know that's where we got to go. Um, 25% of the targets, 129 targets, 97 receptions, 1,260 yards, and six touchdowns, which, by the way, Kittle – eventually he's going to have his year where he scores 10 or 12. And when that happens like that, you're going to basically, I mean, you're going to be like a one point, you'll be like a three X over every one, every other tight end in your league besides maybe Kittle and Mark Andrews. I mean, you're going to literally dominate people in the way Lamar Jackson did last year, right at quarterback or in the way Mike Thomas did last year at receiver. Like that's the kind of distance you're going to get between you and the next player in your league. So I love drafting George Kittle. Um, I think in the second round, if you get to a running back spot where you're just not sure with all the injuries and everything that are going on, it's not too early to draft George Kittle. It's just, it's really not um, because I think the type of, you know, differentiator that he can be, and this is the perfect scheme for him, Matt. I mean, yeah. it, you got play action, you got a, a great running game, you get the defense going this way and all of a sudden he's running across or this way and everybody's like, oh shit. And by yeah. then it's a touchdown, he's gone. So the run after the catch is there. Um, he just needs more targets, honestly. Uh, in the end zone, you know, which could easily happen. Um, so I, I worry a little bit that if some of the other receivers don't step up, right, teams will do everything they can to take Kittle away, which, you know, could dampen his outlook a little bit. But the volume's going to be there. And it's still – the running game's so good, and it, it's simpatico with what he does. I still think there's going to be plenty. Yeah, they're going to scheme – they're going to be able to scheme him open very well, and he gets open on his own very well. And like you said, he's terrific at transitioning downhill and being able to make the plays. I'm at 131 targets, 89 catches, 1,115 yards, 12.5 yards per catch, six touchdowns as well. Um, one of the top two tight ends in the league for sure from a fantasy perspective. And I'm just going to add this guy as someone to mention because I think occasionally I get the occasional fantasy player who's trying to be creative and says – what about Kyle Juszczyk? You know, Kyle Juszczyk, you know, I have him listed as a running back because he's a fullback. But again, he's going to be part of that split. 24 targets, 20 receptions, 239 yards, and a touchdown. He's not, you know, he'll have an occasional game where you're like, wow, yeah. I wish I started him ahead of that that slump of Which a running back I added. But you'll never know when it's coming. But one thing you know that's coming every week is – this podcast and you know i want to thank Dwayne again you can find Dwayne at Dwayne mcfarland you can find him at um fighting chance fantasy and the fantasy football hustle and also of course you can find him at pro football focus and see i lied i was going to have him do it and then i remember you got how it to now. Do this. yeah and establish the run and you can find matt at footballguys.com and of course the RSP. And if you're not subscribing, why? Let me do let me do yours, Matt. And okay. I have to say thank you to for you inviting me to do this. It's been awesome getting to do these with you for the last two years. I learned so much, you know, working with you over the last, you know, two and a well, is this our this will be our third season together. It will, won't it? Working. Yeah. So I mean I've learned a ton from you even before that, right? So getting to do this podcast with you, you know, you say thank you for me being here every week, but I just want to say I really appreciate you having me. You know, it's an absolute honor to get to do anything with you. I think you're one of the best in the industry. You know that. So thank you. Hey man, it's much appreciated. It's an honor because 
you're doing fantastic work and now that we've had the mutual love fest you know we love you guys as well Uh, thank you for listening to us because if it weren't for you there would be no us for us to be able to do what we're doing and uh you know stay safe out there and uh all the best to you and your families and we'll talk with you or at least talk at you again next week